Welcome to Bethany. My name's Tom. So good to see you. You're looking particularly good today. I want you to meet a friend of mine. His name is Samson. Come on up here, man. He's going to pray for us. All right, man. God loves young men. Now go ahead. Go ahead. Take us away. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for... I thank you for all you've done for us. I just hope you teach us a lesson today and what you're going to talk to us about. I want to thank you for um, all these people that came to this church, and I hope everyone has a nice day. And dear Heavenly Father, I mean, um, Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Right here. All right. May we all be eager to take a stand for Jesus. And I don't know how this works. I'm putting it down. Um, don't sit down there. It's going to be shocking for you. So glad you're here. So glad you're here. If you're here last week, uh, you know that we started uh, with the uh, last, last week was to be the last in the series of uh, the lifeline and talking about Jesus as the life saver. And, and, and what we did was we contextualized it in the bully beatdown. If you're not familiar with the series from... Uh, uh, MTV is great, and it's an octagon fight where they take a bully and they match him up with a mixed martial arts fighter and they make him regret picking on smaller, weaker people. And so we put this in the context of Jesus defeating our foes, our enemies of, of, of death and sin and Satan. And we only got through the first two rounds. And so this is the third round. We're glad you're here for it. It's the crescendo. Next week, we get back into our Acts series. We've been teaching through the book of Acts, verse by verse, and it's called Acts to be Continued. And we're going to have a month-long series of messages within that called Holy Spirit Unleashed. And i got to tell you, you got to be here because uh, the Spirit is going to be moving and taking uh, action in our lives in new and fresh ways, and we're going to see Him work uh, in in awesome ways, so want you to do that. Um, Colossians two. If you have a Bible, you want to open it to Colossians two. That's going to be our home base for this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, look under the seat in front of you. About every other one, we've got a Bible. We want you to follow along with us. Uh, if you don't have one at home, this can be yours to keep. It's our free gift to you. We want you in it. We want you built up in it so that you can know Jesus Christ and the wonderful victory he's won on your behalf. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, uh, if you don't have a pen, we have a basket of pens. Tim's there. He'll, if you'll raise your hand, he'll get you one. Um, here's why we're going to be moving very quickly. We're going to be covering a lot of scripture, a lot of it for you to look up on your own, to, to equip you and to build up your arsenal when the enemy attacks and he will, and he is. And, and these are victorious verses so that you can have those verses of victory. And we want you to have them down. So if you need a pen, make sure you get one from Tim. Now, when we talked about this, uh, last week in the first two rounds, we reminded you that Jesus is ultimately very protective of his people, right? And we talked about how we're protective of somebody in our lives. We talked about the power of the mother bear, right? Not getting between her and the cubs. We talked about young men and how I disliked them because I used to be one. And how I'm the father of a 16-year-old girl who is, I hope, watching via the, the, the broadcast in the nursery and... Uh, 
how protective I am of her, and how, if you have any thoughts, if you're here this morning or are listening via podcast of dating my daughter, you are taking your life in your hands. Not because her husband, not because her father is a pastor or, or buff, uh, but because, oh, come on. This is a place of grace. But because her father is a psycho. When it comes to the protecting the purity and the life and the heart of his daughter. And I, I reminded you that if your eyes or your hands wander, I would solve that for you by removing them. And that I don't own a gun, but who needs a gun? Because you might disobey the commandment, thou shalt not kill. But the word of God does not say anything about tasing you repeatedly for 17 hours. So, don't do the crime, because I'm willing to do the time. I'll start a jail ministry, you know? That's what I said. And here's the good news, that Jesus is like that. Over his people, over you. He said, because we did the time, we did the crime, he would do the time. He would pay the penalty of our sin on the cross in our place. And that is the victory that he's won. It's all going to point back to the cross. So the bully beat down its three rounds. We covered the first two last week. We're going to cover the third today. And I want us to walk in the victory of Jesus Christ. None of us, not the last one of us, has ever fully realized and walked in the reality of his victory over sin and Satan and death. And so we want to move closer. And those of us who are still in the grasp of Satan, we want to be set free this morning. And that will happen by his power. Let's pray. We'll get right to work. Lord Jesus, you are so good. You are so good. Lord, I would ask that uh, I pray against Satan and his servants and their works and effects, that they would be far from here. I pray for your Holy Spirit, for your presence and your power in this place, that you would empower your word, that you would flood over us, that you would reign in us as we sang and prayed and pleaded. Lord, that you would cast out any demon that, that has followed anybody in here. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be the only spirit in this place, that you would open eyes and open hearts and open ears and open minds and reveal yourself, Lord, because when you do that, nothing is the same. We will leave here walking in your victory. I confess my sins, Lord. I ask you to forgive them, and they are many. And Lord, I ask you to work through this earthen vessel to advance your kingdom, that your gospel would go forth, that lives would be saved. And that lives would be changed. In Jesus' precious and beautiful name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Colossians 2, let's get to work. You ready? Okay. Here we go. We're going to review the rounds real quick. Picking up in verse 13. Round 1, Jesus is victorious over death. First part of 13 says this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He is victorious here if you, over death. If you belong to Jesus Christ, death no longer has any power over you. Disease has no power over you. Sickness and a disaster, and it has no power because life waits you. You have eternal life beginning right now in Jesus Christ. And, and so that's the victory over death, and we reviewed that. Second part of 13 is round 2, and verse 14 as well. Picking up in the second part of 13. He forgave us. Jesus forgave us all our sins. Every last one of them. 
past, present, and future, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it where? To the cross. That's our place of victory, is his cross. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, he has taken all your sins, past, present, and future. He has paid for them. He has suffered for them. He was punished for them so that you could go free. God treated his son as if he lived our life so that he could treat us as if we lived his. All the shame, all the condemnation, all the guilt that comes along with it is gone. All the sins that have been committed against you, the power over them is gone, is beaten. Not only the punishment for your sins, but their power over your life is gone. And now for the third round, where he beats down Satan. Verse 15, here it is. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by what? By the cross. By the cross. This is the third and final round of Jesus' ultimate victory in the octagon of eternity for you. For you. Now, how did the beatdown go? How did it unfold? It's been going on since before creation. I'm going to attempt to take you on a theology of Satan in the Bible from Genesis to just before Revelation, through the Old Testament and most of the New, in five to seven minutes. Here it goes. Jesus knocks out Satan on the cross. How did it go down? According to the Bible, angels are spirit beings created by God for his purposes. One of the most beautiful and powerful angels was filled with pride, which is the seed of most sin. He was filled with pride and wanted to be his own God rather than serve and obey and worship the only living and true God. And so he rebelled against God, and, and we know this angel by many names. He is Satan. He is the destroyer. He is the serpent. He is the great dragon. He is the deceiver. He is the accuser. He is the liar. He is the murderer. He is the thief. We know him by many names, and tragically, one-third of the angels joined him in rebellion against God, and there was a great battle against God and the holy angels, and Satan and his demons lost and were kicked out of heaven once and for all. Forgiveness is not an option. Redemption is not an option. They can never come back. They were cast down to earth, and, 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 and torment and judgment is all that awaits them. And so this great battle in heaven now has a new battlefield. It is earth. And, and Satan begins by deceiving and tripping up and, 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 and deceiving our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, who believed the lie. And they chose lies over truth. They chose pride over humility, folly over wisdom, death over life, sin over obedience, and Satan over God. Matt preached on this two weeks ago. Get the podcast if you haven't heard it. It's in Genesis 3. And so we are born into this bloodline, this heritage of joining the rebellion, joining the rebellion and joining Satan by, by nature and by choice. And God preaches the very first gospel in Genesis 3, the 15th verse. He preaches to them hope that Jesus would come born of a woman. He would grow into a man. He would defeat Satan. He would take his victory on the cross, and he would rescue those who are in his clutches. And that is the gospel. And Colossians 1.3 talks about these two kingdoms. 
Colossians 1.13 rather. It starts off with talking about the kingdom of light in Colossians 1.13, if you could bring that up. It says, for he, God, has rescued us. Jesus Christ has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son, Jesus, whom he loves. Now, God has done that for us. There are two kingdoms. There are two citizenships, and you belong in one of them. You are either living in the kingdom of darkness or you've been set free and brought into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son. And that's where we need to we need to focus this morning. And Jesus went on this rescue mission, this ransom mission when he came to earth and he came for you for three reasons. One, because he loves you. Number two, because he knew Satan would never relinquish you from his clutches by himself. You had to be torn away by his victory on the cross. And number three, because you could never, ever free yourself. And he couldn't stand that. So he came. He came as your triumphant warrior and victor. And then in Genesis 3.15, God preaches to them that. And Jesus is born years later. Jesus is born and Satan works through a king, King Herod, who came from a line of, of rulers who were demonically inspired and, and he follows in their footsteps. And Satan uses him to kill all the young babies, the young male babies, because Satan knew that Jesus would be born and Jesus was born to defeat him. And so he goes out and kills them. But God warned Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, of the plot, and they escape to Egypt as refugees. And Jesus' life is spared. When Jesus is a young man and enters his, his earthly ministry, Satan immediately takes him out. He's led by the Spirit into the desert, and Satan tempts him and and tries him and tries to offer him an easier life than God the Father had, had mapped out for him. You see, God the Father had sent him to live the life, the sinless life that you and I could not live, to die the death on the cross that you and I deserved, to ransom and rescue us. But Satan offers him a kingdom without a cross. When he's hungry, he offers him bread. And we'll talk more about that. Satan baiting the hook for us. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Just before the cross, Satan entered into one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas Iscariot, and conspired with him to hand over Jesus to be beaten and crucified and betrayed. And then on the cross, picture this. Satan and his demons believe they have won the greatest victory. And they jeer and they spit and they, they yell blasphemies at him. And they put a crown of thorns on his head in mockery. And they lay him down and they pluck his beard and they lay him in the very dust of the earth that he created. And Satan kneels on one limb at a time with a great hammer in his hand and spikes and drives the hands and the feet of Jesus into the Roman cross. And then he stands him up to be shamed by by the people he created, by the spirits he created. And they spit on him and they mock him and they jeer. And as Jesus breathes his last and bows his head, bloody and broken and beaten, Satan and his angels believe that they have won the ultimate victory. And Satan is now the new king and the new Lord. And they raise their hands in victory. And Jesus is taken down from the cross and laid in a tomb. And his followers leave silenced on a trail that is muddied with their own tears. But, but, he hasn't tapped out. Jesus, on the third day, rises from the grave, victorious over Satan, sin, and death, and hell. 
And when Satan sees that he has lost the battle, that Jesus is alive, he immediately takes you captive as as his prisoner, having joined the rebellion, and he takes his sword, the sword of the law, which is dripping with the blood of all the sins that you and I have committed, and he points it at our head, and he begins to accuse us of every, every mistake, every sin, every wrong choice, every rebellion that we've ever committed, and he claims them against us and holds us hostage, but then Jesus steps forward and smiles and says, I have paid the price for every last sin on the cross, and I have defeated you. And I have ransomed them. And you have no right and no power to hold my child hostage. And he takes his own sword, the sword of truth, the sword of the word of God, and he lays it to Satan's head. And he busts his helmet and he bloodies his head. And then he takes the pommel of the sword and he steps in and he puts it in his mouth. And he breaks Satan's teeth and he violently shoves them down his throat. And then he takes the sword and he destroys Satan's armor and doubles him over as he's gasping for breath. No longer able to accuse or blaspheme or curse or jeer or tempt beyond the, beyond the ability to resist. And then he strikes a blow to the back of Satan's head and drives him down into the dust that three days before Jesus laid in. And he declares victory for himself, for his kingdom, and for you. You can give him a hand. I hope that's where the story is for you. That's me. That may not be where it ends for you. We'll look at that in a minute. So Satan is wounded. He's not yet dead. He's destroyed. He's, he's defeated. He's not yet destroyed. That will come. That is our hope. That is our expectation. God said it is so. So Satan can't attack Jesus anymore. What does he do? He does the next best thing. He goes after the people Jesus loves, right? Jesus is very protective of them. They're in two camps, right? Two different groups. They're the followers of Jesus Christ. So Satan tries to get them not to walk in the victory, not to realize the victory, not to see that victory come to life in every area of their life. To torture them. To call them back to him. And the other are people who are far from Jesus Christ, whom he also loves. And Satan blinds them to the reality of Jesus' victory. Blinds them to the reality of the gospel. We'll look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. Very powerful verse here. We need to see it. We need to know it. Some of us are under this very curse. 2 Corinthians 4.4. Here it is. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, the reason is that Satan has blinded your mind from the gospel, from the truth of who Jesus is, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so we pray that eyes would be opened by God, that ears would be opened by God, that hearts would be softened and opened by God, so that we might see the glory of Christ. Because Satan blinds us because he knows that if your eyes are open, if your ears are open, if your heart is open, if you see how glorious Jesus is, you will cry out to him, and then he will surely come to your rescue and pluck you out of his hands and bring you into fellowship with him into the victory that he won for you on the cross so if you're trying to fight satan on your own this morning and he is attacking you his demons are attacking if you don't know you're in more danger than somebody who does 
If you're trying to fight him in your own strength, you're better off, you're better off trying to cut down the national forest with a butter knife. He wants to come after you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal everything good that Jesus has put in your life. Whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or whether you're far from him, his goal is to put distance between you and Jesus. And he is having a field day. He is having a field day in your life. He's having a field day in our community. Ninety percent of the people we go to the grocery with, live on the street with, go to college with, work with, are unchurched. Does that mean we attack them? No. We go with them. We go to them. We love them as Jesus loved them. We speak hope. We speak life. We speak truth. We tell them of the victory. And we invite them in. We invite them into that. And that's what's happening in this church. That's what's happening. He's not trying to just make your life a hassle. He doesn't want to give you a spiritual wedgie or a, or a spiritual swirly or whatever it is you got. He wants to make your life an absolute train wreck. And he's having his way with our marriages, with our friendships, with our finances, with our families, with our children, with our hopes, with our dreams, with our callings, with our work, with our calling, with our joy. He's having a field day. And it ends here because God's people will know of God's victory on their behalf. And we're going to walk in it. Amen? Okay. Ephesians 6.12. So the rest of our lives, we battle against an enemy who is already defeated. Ephesians 6.12 sheds light on this. It says, for our struggle, our struggle, yours and mine, this applies to you, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It is against Satan and his demons. Your problem is not your husband. Your problem is not your wife. It is deeper than that. It is spiritual. Your problem, your root problem is not your addiction to alcohol or drugs or porn or sex or bad relationships or taking advantage of people. It's deeper than that. It is a spiritual problem. Your problem is not purely against anger and bitterness that harbors in your heart. It is deeper than that. It is spiritual. Your problem is not against your, the lack of money in your bank account. It is deeper than that. Your problem is not against that friend who is not acting like a friend. Your friend, it is not against a, a young man or a young woman who has treated you badly. It is a spiritual problem. It goes deeper than that. It's a question of fruit and root. When we lived in New York, uh, my, one of my chores for my family was mowing the lawn. We had a lot of dandelions. And in every place other than Gunnison and Crested Butte, people view dandelions as weeds. Here we're kind of whacked out. We think of them as wildflowers. Isn't that beautiful? When we moved here, somebody said we're going to go on a, uh, a drive to look at the wildflowers. They showed me a bunch of dandelions. They're weeds. I know this because I used to lower the height of the cutting blade so that I could shave them off, right? Real low so that for two and a half days they would look like grass. But then what happens? They come back and there's more of them. If you're fighting against all of these things that I just talked about that are above the surface, the fruit 
You can shave it as low as you can. You can come against it as much as you can. You can try to cut those things off. And they'll just come back. And they'll just come back. Because the root problem is underneath. It is a spiritual issue. And when you get it from the root, in the power of Jesus Christ, and the power over Satan, sin, and death, they don't come back. Because they've been killed at their source. Poverty, hunger, as we saw in the video, is evil. And we come against it at its root. It is a spiritual problem. And we respond to it. Jesus came to undo the works of the devil. And when we partner with him, we do that. That's what compassion is about. That's what our lives should be about. So we're battling not against flesh and blood. Second Corinthians tells us this. We're going to go to the root. It says, 2 Corinthians 2.11, In order that Satan may not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We're going to take a look at some of his schemes. He comes to us in many ways. We're going to only look at three of them. Whether you are a victor or a victim depends upon whether you're living in the victory of Jesus Christ. If you're tired of living as a victim and you want to live in the victory, we have to know what that is. And we have to know about our enemy and how to come against him because Satan has already been defeated. So here we go. Satan will come to us in one of three ways usually. He comes as a liar. John 8.44. John 8.44 says this. He was a murderer from the beginning, Satan was. Not holding to the truth, for there was no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He will lie to you. He will get you to lie. If you have a problem with the truth, you have a problem with Jesus. Because Satan is working on you not to present the truth. And he lies to us. And some of us believe the lies. And we listen to the lies. And what are some of the lies that he tells us? What are some of the lies that he tells us? He says, you don't have to pray. You don't have to pray. You prayed yesterday. You don't have to be, you don't have to be coming to God in prayer every day. You don't need the word. You don't need the word. You don't need that time. Don't worry about that. You're busy. You don't need to come to church to get your spiritual batteries recharged, to be equipped, to be encouraged, to be, uh, get your armor on, to grow in Christ. You don't need that. Sunday's your day. It's only day off. Relax. Sleep in. He lies to us. He says, love those who love you. Love those who love you. When Jesus is saying, love those who hate you and tr- abuse you. He's saying, love those who least deserve it and least expect it. That's grace. That's what he did for us. Satan says, forgive only those who deserve it. The message of grace is forgiving those who absolutely don't deserve it. Because I didn't deserve it when he forgives me. You don't deserve it. Love those who least deserve it, least expect it. Forgive those who least deserve it, least expect it. Be fountains of grace. And he lies to us. He lies to us. Just as he lied to our first parents, he questions, he lies about the character of God and that God wants the best for us. And he will tell us that God's word is not for our blessing, is not for our joy, is not for our victory, but is to have God's thumb over us. And some of us have bucked against God because we don't realize that his life, his word is that we might have life and have it to the full, that we might know true joy that knows no end and has a heavenly source and nothing can come against it. 
He lies, and sometimes we believe the lie, but we cling to the Word because the Word is truth, and we cling to Jesus because He is the way, the truth, and the life, and the lies put us into prison, but Jesus is the truth, and His Word says the truth will make you free, and He has overcome the liar. And so we have victory when Satan comes as the liar. Satan will not only come as a liar, he will come as the tempter, as he did to Jesus in the beginning of his earthly ministry. Read about it in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. He takes Jesus out, and Jesus is hungry, and he offers him bread. And he baits the hook. He baits the hook with whatever we want. You want someone who will give you whatever you want, other than Jesus Christ. Satan's your guy. He'll bait the hook with whatever. You can have whatever you want. His theme song is, sing it with me. You can have whatever you like. You can have whatever you... I'm cool. You know, I'm 40s. But I'm cool. He'll bait the hook with whatever you like, man. What do you like? You like more stuff? He'll give you more stuff. You want more, you want more sex? I'll give you more sex. You want porn? I'll give you that. You want fame, pride, success? He'll bait the hook with whatever you like. As long as you can chomp down on it and he can reel you in and that thing can become your God because he lures you farther and farther away from Jesus Christ and closer and closer to him so he can whisper more lies. And if you're a child of Jesus, that you would live as a victim, not a victor. And if you're far from Jesus, that you would never come to him, that you'd be blinded. He'll give you whatever you want. But remember this, that resistance to temptation is what Jesus accomplished for us. And every time we yield to temptation, no matter what it is, it is momentary happiness and lasting heartbreak. Momentary happiness. And lasting heartbreak. When we resist temptation, when we resist it, it is momentary discomfort, but lasting joy. Everything he baits the hook with is a lie and is temporary happiness at best. Lasting heartbreak. And he's having a field day because all of the things that God has placed here, we want to use at times that are inappropriate, in measures that are inappropriate, He'll take even good things and bait the hook with them if we can just bite down. You say, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want. Yeah, but are you free not to? Are you free not to do whatever you want? Or have your wants become your God? If you want something, you have to do it. You have to have it. And they've become the trap. Because he'll give you whatever you want. Jesus is setting you free to say, I don't have to do whatever I want. I have to do what he wants, which brings me greatest freedom, which brings me greatest victory, which brings me greatest joy. And how are you living in it? Partially? Mostly? I need more. I need more of that victory. And because Jesus was victorious over temptation... You can be too. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
When you do sin, keep short accounts with God. Come to him immediately in repentance. He will wash you clean. He will fill you. He will re-equip you. He will bring you up. He will fill you. And you keep short accounts with the people you sinned against. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. And we have victory over temptation. He will come to us as a liar. Satan will come to us as a tempter. And he will come to us as an accuser. We read in in Revelations 12.10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Get this. Here's a name for, for Satan. For the accuser of our brothers. For the accuser of the followers of Jesus Christ who accuses them before God day and night, has been hurled down. The accuser. What does he do? What does he do to you? How many of you have ever thought something like this? Be honest in your heart. How many of you have ever heard, thought these words to yourself? You're a loser. You are a slut. You are dirty and defiled. You are hopeless. You are unlovable for people, and you're unlovable for God. You're disgusting. You are ugly. You are stupid. You are ignorant. God would never love you. God would never forgive you. God would never want you. God could never use you. He's an accuser. And we believe these things and it drives us into an outlook on life that is dark and ill-fated and hopeless and drives us to despair. What do we do? We have eating disorders. We have dysfunctional relationships because of it. Some of us cut ourselves. Some of us have even contemplated suicide. How many of you have ever heard in your mind, you are this, you are that, you are ugly, you're a whore, you're a slut, you, you have sinned too much for God to love you. No one will ever love you. You are unforgivable. I have. I have. I got beat up. This week and yesterday, preparing this message like I haven't in years. Because the enemy does not like to be unmasked. Listen to me. When you hear that, you are this, you are that. You Think to yourself, do you refer to yourself as the second person? No. Do you not typically refer to yourself as I? I'm hungry. I'm tired. I love Bethany and I'm going to come here every week. I'm going to double my giving. I believe that Tom looks thinner than he looked last week. He's not. But I believe so. No, you refer to yourself in the first person. What does this mean? It just means that it's somebody else. It could be Jesus, but he'd never say these things to you. He didn't come to condemn you, but... To set you free. My friends, when you hear you are, you are, you are, you are, you're hearing the voice of a demon. Make no mistake about it. And you need to come against that with the word of God and who you are in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to walk in the victory.
when you are depressed and despairing because of the lies we believe, we don't walk into victory. And He compromises us and He can steal from us. You need to speak in the name of Jesus and you will have victory. We'll talk about that in a minute. Sometimes the enemy will come in a season of grace, in a good season of your life, and try to steal your joy by reminding you and accusing you of every sin you've ever committed, that you've already repented of, that you've already been forgiven of. And we need to know the truth of verse 14 in that Colossians chapter 2, 14, that says he took the account against us, he took our sin debt, and he nailed it to the cross. And we need to remind Satan. We need to remind his demons when they accuse us that you're an abuser and you've been forgiven of that. That you're, that you're a liar and you've been forgiven of that. That you're a cheat and a bad husband. You're forgiven of that. That it's nailed to the cross. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And we need to quote to him because he knows the Word of God even better than you do. And you bring this right back at him, Romans 8.1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Not a little bit, not a lot, not sometimes. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, those accusations have no grounds. And we need not listen to them. We should not listen to them. And we will not listen to them. But you've got to come in the power of Jesus' word, in the power of his truth, in the power of his name, and in the power of his blood. Satan may come as a tempter, as a liar, and as accuser, but Jesus comes to you as the victor. And you need to know the authority that you have. Luke 10, Luke 10, 18 through 20. Jesus is talking to his disciples, which have now returned. He sent them out to preach the good news. The kingdom of God is here. There is forgiveness. There is restoration. They've had great spiritual victories. Here's what he says to them. (coughs) Excuse me. should be a sign that I'm preaching too long. All right. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Luke 10, 18. Here we go. Jesus tells them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, for I have given you. And he says this to them. He says it to you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Who is that? That is the serpent. That is the devil. And to overcome all the power of the enemy, that's him. Nothing will harm you. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You have authority. You have authority. And because you are positionally in Jesus Christ, if you want to read more about that, it's Ephesians 1.18 through 2.8. What this means is that if in Jesus' name you command, in the authority of Jesus' name, you command a demon to go, he must. It must. Do you realize this? Do you realize this? Do you realize that that your life is often oppressed by demonic activity? I'm not asking you to be a freak show who finds a demon under every rock. What I'm asking you to do is be aware. Be aware that your battle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle in your mind, your battle for your heart, your battle for your relationships, your battle for your soul, your battle for your loves, your battle for your joy is a spiritual one. Fathers, brothers, 
Fathers, if you're in a, in a household, you need to be praying prayers of cleansing and deliverance and protection over your children. You need to be praying it over your marriage. You need to be praying throughout your house that the only spirit welcome in there would be the spirit of Jesus Christ and that every other spirit in the name of Jesus needs to go. You will be amazed. You will be amazed at what happens. If you're a woman and you're single, you need to take the authority. The authority is yours. But men, if you're a husband, if you're a father, that spiritual authority is yours and you need to speak it over your family. I'll share something with you because uh, it may edify you. My father was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was dying of a brain tumor and he was paralyzed on his right side. We were Catholic, grew up Catholic. And Father Rudy was an older Man, my father could no longer get to church, so he would do a communion service. We'd celebrate the Lord's Supper in his bedroom, and he was paralyzed. And yet, when Father Rudy came to his bedside and said, this is the body of Christ broken for you, and he held the host up to him, my father, on his paralyzed side, raised his hand, knocked Father Rudy against the wall with a screech that I can't even describe to you. With his paralyzed arm, he knocked a chubby priest against the wall and the host scattered around the bedroom. And his father, Rudy, crawled around consuming the hosts, which they're taught to do. We interceded. We interceded it in the name of Jesus Christ. We commanded every demon to be gone. My father fell over crying and said, That wasn't me. That wasn't me. Satan and his demons do not like to show off because God's people will know what to do. So they're subtle and beautiful and they bait the hook with whatever you want. But you need to know the authority that you have because you're living with not enough of the victory. And neither am I. And we need it. Christ died to get it for us. Okay. Here we go. I want you to jot these down real quick before we close. These are verses to load your gun, to load your spiritual arsenal. Write them down. Put them in your... Load the gun, man. When you're helpless... 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When you feel like Satan is getting the upper hand, 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to destroy the devil's work in your life. Read it, claim it, know it. When you're discouraged, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. Bring it on. He says, because take heart, I have overcome the world. When you're feeling weak against the enemy, Romans 8, 37. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are a child of the king. Start believing like it. Start claiming like it. Start acting like it. Live in the victory. When you're being attacked, Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon forged against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, you followers of Jesus Christ. This is for you and is their vindication for me, declares the Lord. When hard times come, Romans 8:28, we know that in all things God works for the good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Jesus can take the things that are worst in your life and turn them into blessings. He can do it and he will do it. 
when you're afraid. Psalms 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. There is nothing that should make us shake in our boots. Because in us and with us is the risen Savior, warrior, and King Jesus. When you're wondering if you'll ever get through, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go back home. Let's go back to our verse of the beatdown. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Well, the church in Colossae, who Paul was writing to, could relate to this because they knew. They knew what happened. Let me explain to you historically how they would have interpreted this, how they would have seen this. Because in that day, kings would rise up against other kings and their kingdoms. They would go out to a neutral site and one king and one kingdom would war against another and the people of the kingdom would wait and they would cower and they were afraid because the outcome of that battle determined whether they were victims or victors or whether they were held captive and taken as prisoners. And they waited. And when the king won, he would send a herald back into the village to proclaim the victory. And then the celebration would start. The celebration would start. And it was the Senate would declare a day of triumph. It was a national holiday. Schools would close. Post offices would not deliver. You wouldn't know. You're never really sure whether they're doing trash pickup or not. So if you put your trash out, they'd, they'd not collect it. If you didn't, they would. That's how it was then. That's how it is now. But there was a huge celebration. It was a national day of, of celebrating. People would decorate their house, houses and put on their best clothes and they would line the streets and they would even stand on rooftops so that they could see. And the cheers that, as the trumpets would thunder could be hear, heard far off. And as the mighty men of the army began the procession out from the fields of battle and they came in, the applause and the cheers would swell. And in the middle of it is the victorious king. He is riding on a chariot being pulled by milk white horses and chained to his chariot is the defeated king and his army defeated and stripped down. And when the king would enter, all of the people of the kingdom would erupt in praise and the celebration would go on and on and on. And we have been celebrating in this place with the people of God for 2,000 years. Here's the question. Is your life a celebration of the victorious King Jesus who defeated Satan, sin, death, and hell? Or only partially? Revelation 1, 17 and 18, Jesus said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. I hold the keys. Some of you have never, ever come to the one who holds the keys, who won the victory for you. Who says, but call on my name and I will unlock the doors and set you free. You are living in a jail that has been unlocked. Some of you have been set free and you belong to Jesus Christ. And you've let sin and the lies of the enemy cause you to wander and walk right back into captivity. And Jesus says, you are to live in my victory. 
I want it for you. Here's how I hope that story ends for all of us. Ashamed of our years in the rebellion, being hostage of the enemy. We stand afar off with our face downcast, our hopes dashed and our hearts broken. But the warrior, victor, Jesus Christ comes to us, stands before us and takes our chin in his hands and raises our head to look him in the eye. And he said, my child, I have won for you the victory. Your sins have been forgiven. Your great enemy is defeated. Your life has been liberated. God is now your father. New life is your gift. And heaven is your home. And I am your savior. Will you come and walk in my victory? Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. You are so good to win the victory for us. Lord, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray, I pray with my brothers and sisters that we're not yet walking in the full victory that you've won for us, Lord. And we confess that. As best as we know how, Lord, we come to you and say, We've believed too many of the lies about who you are and what you want, about who to love and who to forgive, about our life and where it's found and our joy and what it's found in. Lord, we believe the liar. Lord, we confess that too many times we've yielded to temptation, choosing temporary happiness and long-term heartbreak over momentary momentary discomfort and lasting joy. Lord, we confess that we've been crushed by Satan's accusations and his demons whispering to us who we are and not clung to who you are and who we are in you. We've let all of those things affect our moods and our attitudes and our relationships, our marriages, our friendships. Lord, we want to be set free, fully free. We want to walk in the victory. If that's your heart cry, as it is mine, you're a follower of Jesus, you want to walk more fully in his victory, I ask you to raise your hand to God. Yes, amen, amen. We're going to walk, we're going to walk strong. Yes, hands going up all over the room. Praise God for you. Praise God for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to walk in your victory. We know that you won it for us and you're going to win it again and again and again through us until you make Satan your footstool and utterly destroy him on your return. Lord, until then, we want our lives to shout that you have won the victory over sin, Satan, death, and hell. We want to live lives that are free. We don't want to wander into the jail cell anymore. Thank you for the freedom we have in you that we've won through you. We love you. In Jesus' name, still praying. Still praying. There's some of you who would say, I've been locked up my whole life. I've been in the clutches of the evil one, kept far from God. I've been the one who was blinded 
whose ears were closed and hearts were hard to the truth of Jesus Christ. His forgiveness of my sins, His victory on the cross. I want to be the one that He takes the chin and lifts it up and looks into my eyes and says, your sins are forgiven, your enemy is defeated, your life is liberated, God is your Father, I am your Savior, new life is your inheritance, and and heaven is your home. I want to be that one. You've ransomed me, Lord. You've rescued me. I want you to do it. I want you to do it. I want to belong to you. I want to turn my back on everything that is not of you, every sin. I want to belong to you. I want you to win that victory in me right now. Jesus is speaking to your heart. You want to receive him as your warrior king, your victor, as your Lord and Savior. I ask you to raise your hand to God. God bless you. God bless you. I see you on that third row. God bless you. Do you want to be set free from the clutches of the evil one? Yes. Yes, you do. God bless you. Anyone else? God will meet you. Yes. God bless you. In the back. I see you. God bless you, man. God bless you. He's speaking to hearts. He's setting people free this very day. God bless you. Oh, make this your prayer. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for opening my eyes, opening my ears and softening my heart. I know that you died on the cross in my place for my sins. Lord, I know that you hold the keys. Right now, I'm asking you to turn the lock and walk me out into your presence that I might no longer be held captive by Satan and his demons and their lies. Thank you. I confess my sin to you. I ask you to come into my life as my Lord, as my Savior, as my victor, as my King. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for the new life I have in you. Thank you that you'll never leave me and that heaven is my home. And I want to walk with you in victory all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.